Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage 2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with Susan Rowan. If you have ever walked into a room full of strangers and felt uncomfortable, you're going to enjoy listening to Susan. She's been named by Forbes as one of the networking gurus of 2015, and she's an in-demand international keynote speaker who for three decades has shared her message of connection and communication with audiences worldwide on stage, in print, and in the media. Susan is the author of the classic bestseller, How to Work a Room, which is now available as a silver anniversary revised edition in print and ebook and audio book, as well as several other well-received books. So welcome, Susan. Well, thank you. Nice to be here. So first of all, let's talk about what networking is and how is that different from working a room, because I think that's kind of foundational to understanding what you're trying to tell us here. Well, let me do it then in reverse. Okay. Knowing how to work a room is really what we learned growing up. Socializing, okay. circulating, meeting, greeting, talking to people, exiting, making connections, making conversation. That's working a room. In fact, when I first wrote the book, an old friend of mine said, you gave it the wrong title. I said, really? He said, you should have called it How to Make Nice in a Room. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, I thought it sounded very Mr. Rogers, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but that really is it. You're really in a room. I don't care if you're at a conference, a meeting, a fundraiser, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a retreat. You're there to meet and c- to connect. So it's really about being uh, welcoming, being nice, being conversant, being interested. That's about being in that room. And that room could be online. That room could be, you know, the ballroom of the local hotel. It could be your rotary group. It could be anywhere. But networking is different. And I'm going to quote my dear late femtor, and she made up that word. She said, I can't be your mentor. I'm your femtor. (laughs) And, in fact, from your area, the Redwood Shores area, and she said her definition, and it's the one I've embraced for years, is networking is a mutually beneficial process by which we share ideas, leads, information, laughter, and if we're lucky, support. So that's the follow-up. So the networking is really the follow-up after you've met people. And this is where people either follow through or fall out. If you're not following up to those people you've met, those people you've been introduced to, you're losing out on building a network. So it seems to me sometimes we do have this backwards because you hear about people going to a quote-unquote networking event, which almost seems to me like speed dating on steroids. Oh, my god! Here's gosh. my card. What do you do? Oh, what do I do? Okay, nice to meet you. Call me. I'll put you on my mailing list next. And that's sort of what seems to happen there as opposed to the learning and the, um, the welcoming and being nice, et cetera. How did we get so out of sync with this? You weren't raised by my mother. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we have gotten out of sync because we started getting uh, different people, I won't mention which gender, in the networking business who made it transactional. Ah. And historically, w- women have been the keepers of the relationships. Yep. So 
in fact, my good friend Ivan Meisner has talked about the difference of the transactional person who networks and the relational person who networks. You know, many years ago, I don't want to say how many, I was on a, a program with Tom Peters, who is one of my heroes, and he was saying, you know, in the next century, we are going to need leaders, he was talking specifically about leaders, who connect with people, who can communicate, who can relate. He said, we already have those people in the workplace. And everyone, like, leaned forward to listen. He said, oh, we call them women. Ah. <laughs> that's great. And I think that's what happened. I said, we started getting the people transactional. Networking isn't, I'm going to an event, here's my card, give me a call, I'll give you a call. And now this is my new pet peeve. I'll put you on my list. Right. And as I've tweeted any number of times, so I could sell you things you don't need with money you don't have. Right. It's almost like it, it's it's a game where you, you, you get points for the number of people that you get on your list or, or number of people who are following you on Twitter or connected to you on LinkedIn. So it's like, oh, let me get more and more and more uh, without looking at the quality versus the quantity. You know, I have a friend who said to me, I don't want 250,000 people on my list. I want the 250 that have already qualified who I know are interested in purchasing what I have to offer. You're absolutely right. because it, And I tell this to, to clients who are interested in, in going somewhere and building these big Twitter lists or, or LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. It's that it doesn't matter how many of these people you get if they're not your target audience. And I think you're absolutely right. Yep. And you get a lot of bots. I mean, I know people that bought their followers. Yep. They've subscribed to lists. Um, for me, Twitter, I love Twitter. I love Twitter because Twitter has made me a better writer and a better editor and has made me a better reader. And what I mean by that is everything I read, and I read three print newspapers a day and maybe five periodicals a week, I do it with, oh, that would be interesting for people that are saying, I'm not sure what to talk about. Mm -hmm. So sharing the URLs, it's really made me really better at reading, writing, and self-editing. I've also made friends on Twitter who are dear to me that I've then met in person later, and we support each other's endeavors. So I see Twitter is something a little different. Sure, I'd like to have 50 million followers. Sure, I'd like to have, you know, 900,000 friends, not to invite them anywhere, of course. But, it, but you know, it's really about who knows you and who feels connected to you. Not always that you agree on everything. I have friends that, believe me, it annoys me that I don't agree with everything I say. But it's a good conversation. And yep. that's how you build your network. I wrote this in Secrets of Savvy Networking, which really was my favorite book, I wrote it. It was published in 1993. Um, next year, my baby will be 25. That book is still out there. And what I wrote then, 25 years ago, was if your network looks, sounds, believes, and does what you do, how you look, what you believe, where you're from, you're missing out. And this is a word I used 25 years ago on the diversity yeah. that's offered. So I want people different than I am. Otherwise, they'll all be 4'11". They all will have taught school. 
uh, they all will, well, this I really do hope, they all will write handwritten thank you notes. <laughs> Which, by the way, a little plug for that, that's what smart people do. Yeah. But if everybody looks and believes it, how do I expand my thinking? Yeah, no, absolutely right. And I, and I think that's sort of the, the power of weak ties that we've heard about, right, that you need to have people who are not necessarily as close to you but know you and know of you and are in different situations. So given that, uh, you write about the variety of new rooms that we have to navigate. So how does, you know, how does that fit into your, your premise that you have about socializing and working a room? Because we, we're doing all this stuff online, but we still need to be able to socialize and mingle in person, right? So are the new oh. rooms online? Are they in person? How does that fit together? First of all, you still have to be able to work a room. And like I said to people, well, I do that. I go, hey, you're still going to be invited to your cousin's wedding. Right. You're still going to go to a neighbor's son's graduation. You are still, if you are in the work world, you are going to go to meetups. You are going to go to summits. You are going to go to conferences. You are going to go to um, client meetings, you know, showing up in other people's offices. I mean, there are offices besides Starbucks. We do know about that. We have to be able to do this face-to-face, which, by the way, was another book I wrote, Face-to-Face, How to Reclaim the Personal Touch in a Digital World. But the online world meshes now with the face-to-face world. If everyone you meet is face-to-face, you'll eventually be in a room with them online, whether that room is LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Instagram. What we need to know is each one of those online rooms has their own code of behavior. What you do and say in Facebook is different than LinkedIn. It's different than Twitter. It's different than Instagram. It's different than WhatsApp. But here's the other part. Some of the rooms that I wrote about that were published in this Silver Anniversary edition of How to Work Room, I did a caveat and said, by the time you read this, some of these rooms might not exist, and there'll be new ones. Vine is gone. You know, so we have to, if we want to succeed in our businesses and do the marketing we need to do, we need to know about all those rooms, know their rules, and Take that online room when possible and meet with people offline. And if they're at another part of the world, have a Zoom, have a Skype conversation where you're at least face-to-face, if not in person. So it's interesting because you talk about that, which I I believe. And and it's very interesting that we have these tools like Meetup, which are all these great online tools to basically find us people who have similar interests so we can go meet in person. Right there is not a meetup I have seen yet that says, "Oh, we want to go meet up and have a chat room somewhere." You know, <laughs> go meet in person. Well, so. that's you are a hundred percent right because it goes back to and I listened to a psychologist speak. I went to the March for Science in Charlotte, mm-hmm. and I listened to a psychologist speak there. The research being done is, we are um, the human race needs community. Yep. And we need we need real community, not Facebook community. Yeah. No, we need. I love my Facebook community. They help me out on things. But let me tell you, when um, if I take a spill and fall and break my arm, I better have someone. I and this is what I learned from Sally. I better have someone I can call that can drive me to the emergency room. Right. 
We need right. our networks. Uh, and I'll go back to this. I know that I love the term loose ties, who, and I can't remember the name of the psychologist who came up with it. In Secrets of Savvy Networking, I call them the people who know people who know people. Right. I'm originally from Chicago, so there was a TV show where someone was saying, it was based in Chicago, well, I got it. You can't park there. You're double parked. You'll get a ticket. And the guy says, no, I won't. No, yes, you will. And he goes, no, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. <laughs> That's loose ties. When yep. someone comes to you and says, hey, do you know what you might say, hey, I don't know directly, but I've got a friend. Let me I'll shoot them a quick email, send them a quick text, see who they know. So it was really the people who know people who know people. Sounds and I think you're absolutely right. So I want to ask you something, because there's a lot of people out there who are introverts who don't like going to events and chit-chatting and so what do you say to people who say, God, networking is awful, I don't like it, um, I feel like I'm using people. How do you, wh- what do you tell them as to how, how do they approach this and what is a good way to kind of get in the right frame of mind? Well, first of all, today I just got the Google alert that my article on the SHRM website, um, How to Bring Out the Best in Introverts, was published. I might add I had to cut out, you know, half of it. But I would say this. The people who say, I hate networking, are not talking about networking because they really would give you a lead. They really would follow up. They really Uh would recommend. What they're saying is what I've said in How to Work a Room, it is daunting to walk into a room full of people we don't know. And you're not alone. Um, According to the literally done in here in the Bay Area, shyness statistics from the Stanford Shyness Clinic, 90% of us, are uncomfortable. 90% of us self-identify as shy. So number one, you're not alone. 90% of the people in that room feel the same way. Number two, you're not against networking, as I defined it, the sharing of leads, ideas, information. What you are is, as one would think, rightfully so, uncomfortable walking into a room full of strangers. Honestly, Linda, so am I sometimes, and I wrote the book. (laughs) So how do you go, Susan, from walking into a room full of strangers to having these, uh, you know, these, these relationships and, and being able to, to, um, to, to, mute, to have this mutually beneficial process? What happens that turns those strangers into warm leads or friends or colleagues or something? Well, first of all, and I would say this, as anyone who has been called an overnight success in the entertainment building business will say, it took me 20 years. Right. Relationships do, and this is what I've written and tweeted, relationships do not happen overnight. They happen over time. Yep. So you go somewhere. Now, here's a couple hints that for our people listening of how you work a room. First of all, the invitation comes, whether it's in the mail or online or evite. Look at it. Look at your calendar. RSVP and say yes. The first thing I learned when I interviewed people for how to create your own luck is these people said yes when they want to say no. So you RSVP, you say yes, and, of course, the bottom line is you then show up. But before you go, it's the preparation. So. Would it be okay if I give a couple things to help you sure. prepare? Absolutely. Number one, there's no excuse anymore of walking into a room full of people you don't know. 
you go online, you look at their sites, you Google them, you go to their Facebook page so that you feel comfortable, you feel familiar, you feel you can make conversation with people. Not stalkery, but give yourself the comfort level. Number two, prepare your own self-introduction. Wouldn't it be great if someone heralded my entry into every room? Well, guess what? I'm out of luck. <laughs> I, By the way, I think that would be a great idea, but Everywhere you go, before you go there, do this homework. Think of how you're going to introduce yourself, and it's not, I repeat, not an elevator pitch. Right. It shouldn't even, been done, shouldn't even be done in an elevator. It's really <laughs> a seven to nine second, and this is old school world, word, pleasantry. It's who I am, why I'm here, and give you a little help so you can make conversation with me seven to nine seconds, you link it to the event you're at. You don't introduce yourself at every event the same way because if you're a parent and you're at your kid's school, you're not giving your business introduction. You're Johnny's mom or dad. Right. You know, you got to give people what they need to help make conversation with you. Why are you there? Give people context for your presence. And the third trait I learned from my good friend Patricia Fripp don't give your job title. It means nothing. If mm. you want to help engage people, give the benefit of what you do. If you give the benefit of what you do, then you give people something to start the conversation. And when they feel they have, they're more comfortable. And that's that's the way you start. Also, read the paper. I know it sounds totally crazy, but if you read the paper, it has so much information that you can start a conversation with. Oh, there isn't a day that the headlines don't have something appalling nationally, internationally, <laughs> locally. By the way, I just got a phone call before we started this. PG&E called me to tell me there was a power outage in my neighborhood, and I had no power outage. I hung up. And all my power went out. Oh, now, that started a conversation with my neighbors. <laughs> uh, and right now the power is coming back on. All I could say is, how am I going to reheat my lunch in the microwave? I don't know. Right. So, you know, are we having outages? Why are we having outages? What's the water situation? Um, right now we're going through basketball playoffs. Go Warriors. The, you, go Warriors. <laughs> I have been watching, I mean, I even have a story. A friend of mine was at Hamilton when Steph Curry and Aisha showed up in her row. I've shared this story so many times. Have friends that tell you stories because they're stories you can repeat. I will give everyone one hint that I wrote in What Do I Say Next? Borrow other people's lives. Follow other people's lives. You mean celebrities like a Steph Curry or... No, borrow their lives. Oh, borrow their lives. Okay. So I didn't have children. But when my friends would tell me a story of their children, first I'd laugh, which they didn't really like. But I would repeat, I don't have pets, but I borrow my friends' pets. If you have a Bajan, I borrow Sandy. If you've got a Golden, I borrow Lana. Borrow other people's lives. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. So I want to ask, and we could, we could talk for, and this is just so fascinating, we could talk like this for hours, but I want to ask you, um, 
how do you differentiate someone who is savvy at doing this from the rest of us? What makes them different? Is it the preparation they do? Is it the fact that they are more interested? They come better, you know, with with a, with a um, an approach that says they want to listen versus talk about themselves. Is there something in particular that really differentiates those people who are very good at this? The savvy person knows what to say, what not to say, what to do, what not to do, and when and how to do it. I think we recognize the savvy person more by recognizing the unsavvy one, the one mm. that you gave a job lead and they got the job and they never told you, much less send you a plant. <laughs> you know, we know the behavior. When I was writing Savvy, The Secret to Savvy Networking, it was often based on misbehaviors. And that's why I love the new book, Behave by Robert Sapolsky of Stanford. It mm-hmm. was the misbehaviors. We know it by people who do it wrong. So when someone does it right, it's almost as if a light shines on them. It's the person that knows um, how to how to behave, how to be supportive, how to do the file vote. Sometimes it's the person that doesn't say something. I don't know, a quick story. friend of mine helped a friend of his in a situation because he picked up the phone, called an attorney friend and said, hey, you got to help my buddy, no charge. Helps the buddy, no charge. The buddy then leads a, no- a, a lawyer. He doesn't go to the guy that didn't charge him and got him off the hook. He hires someone else. Oof. That's not only not savvy, that's what we would call back in Chicago, dumber than a doorknob. Yep. Yep. If Absolutely. you forget to think, the number one trait of savvy networkers, and I, I'll, let me give you the three traits that I identified in, in the book and all my presentations. First okay. trait is savvy networkers acknowledge. Yep. Not just they send you a thank you note for a gift. That's not even up for question. They acknowledge ideas, leads, information, support, encouragement. Yep. They acknowledge it. They acknowledge it to you. They acknowledge it publicly. And they acknowledge it in a way that's memorable, whether it's writing the note, whether it's sending a little gift, whether it's um, making a donation in your honor at your favorite charity. Second thing savvy networkers do, and I will say that I think this has to do with the most thought leaders do, and that is they stay in touch when they need nothing. Yes. So it's not a quid pro quo. It's, no. Hey, what can they, you know, nothing. what's going on? How are you? Yep. Yep. And um, the third part is they follow up. And you just said something that I've written, and I would like to say that you just popped that in, back into my brain. The savvy networker makes what I call it, they make the hay phone calls, the hay while the sun shines. And hay stands for how are you? Yep. A lot of people don't do that, Linda. How many of us, and I get this all the time from people who I never hear from until they're looking for a job or they need something from me, and then they're all over me. Can I meet with you? Can we have lunch? Can we talk? And it's like, where have you been? (laughs) And, you know, I love to chat with you, but I love to chat with you just in general, not when you're looking for something from me. And you're right. There are too many people who don't do that. And that's, I'm glad you're saying that so that all our listeners know if you want to build relationships, how you build them is learn from the savvy networker. Do not be in touch with people when you need something from them. Smart, savvy pe- 
people who some people say are strategic, but I like to think of as thoughtful. Yep. They stay in touch with you. If you, if the last time you talked, you said, oh, my mom fell and we don't know if we have to put her in uh, rehab for two weeks or she has to move in with me. Within like three weeks, they call you back or they get in touch with you. Hey, how are things going? Is mom recovered? Right. Et has nothing to do with I'm selling you my stuff. Yep. You're absolutely right. And it all makes sense. It's all common sense. So, um, again, we're having such a great time chatting here. I just want to – one final question. Uh, it's the silver anniversary of your book, How to Work a Room. You did a fourth revision. Um, what's changed – what do you think is the biggest change that's happened in the 25 years since you first wrote that? What is the biggest thing that we need to think about now that we didn't perhaps know 25 years ago or need to know 25 years ago? Well, the, the, the thing that's changed is not people. People still have the same needs, the need for community, the need for, you know, an, a good roof over their head, a good job. That hasn't changed. What's changed is technology at the speed of light. And that's why we need to stay fresh, stay relevant, and stay up on what's going on. Um, the technology has changed. How we communicate has changed. How often? And if I may say, don't go to sleep with your phone this is not a good idea. I got for a lot a phone of reasons, call. yes. For a lot of I got a phone call at 1 in the morning. So the way I was raised, that means someone died. Yeah, absolutely. I immediately, I immediately run to the phone, and I see that my niece called me. Oh, my God. It was 1 in the morning, but I thought, I have to call her back. I woke her up. I said, how could I wake you up? You just called me. She said, oh, I must have rolled over and my phone called you. Oh, no. I, I said to her, and then she came up with this great line. She goes, I guess that's what they call rollover minutes. Rollover <laughs> minutes. <laughs> she rolled well, over the phone, and her elbow elbow dialed me. Well, Get then she deserved to be woken up. <laughs> so don't go to sleep with your phone. Technology is important. I know people that their kids will, won't ever pick up the phone, and nowadays almost have trouble texting they're using whatsapp or they're using facebook messenger or they're tweeting at people by the right. way if you have a private conversation with someone do not do it over twitter absolutely absolutely we see that with some of our leaders doing that yep that's oh, in the well, morning then, so. oh yeah i didn't even we won't even go yeah don't even go there but yeah it's all about the savvy person is um, one of good manners. Yep. And and here's a tweet that I've sent a lot. I know we're all talking about thought leaders. I would like to say the savvy networker and the people I most like and want to be around are not the thought leaders. They are the thoughtful leaders. Thoughtful leaders. I love that. That's great. That's fantastic. We've been chatting here with Susan Roan. Susan, how would people get in touch with you if they need to reach you? Well, it's so easy, S-U-S-A-N-R-O-A-N-E dot com, and you can see probably more than you ever expected. There's videos, there's free articles, there's a lot about me, my books, my speaking. Uh, if you want to directly email me, Susan at SusanRowan dot com, and if you want to hire me to speak to your company or organization, which I gladly do, um, and you have a budget, how about this go really old school, 
415-461-3915. Oh, wow. That's great. Fantastic. We've been chatting here with Susan Rowan, um, and Susan is the author of How to Work a Room, which is in its fourth revision and 25th anniversary. Thank you so much, Susan. This has been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you. This is Linda Popke. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage 2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.leverage2market.com.